feet with the Cyrenian compelled to carry the cross, Christ comes to Calvary to crucify, which means we have reason to be joyful cross-bearers and to enjoy communion. Beloved, the morning of Good Friday had been filled with much suffering already for our Lord Jesus Christ. And we just read of how Jesus endured the mockery of the Roman soldiers there in the Praetorium. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, knelt down in front of him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him, took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And now his sufferings would only increase as he made his way from the Praetorium, from Pontius Pilate's palace, to the place of crucifixion. And yet there was these Roman soldiers who had mocked and beat him, who would also lead him away to be crucified. And Jesus would not be the only one who would be crucified. As we know from elsewhere in Scripture, two robbers were led the same way. We'll read in our text as they were going out, that would be going out of one of Jerusalem's gates. They met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they, the Roman soldiers, forced him to carry the cross. And so these words tell us that someone else up to this point had been carrying the cross on which Jesus would be crucified. And as it says in another account in John 19, it was Jesus Christ who had went out from Pilate's palace bearing his own cross. Indeed, Jesus had started out carrying his own cross on the way to Golgotha. Now, this was normal Roman practice for condemned criminals. Men condemned to die by crucifixion, customarily required to carry their own cross to the place of their execution. Now, not everyone under Roman rule was condemned to death by crucifixion. This day, crucifixion was reserved for the lowest of lowest for slaves, for rebels against Roman authority. If you were a Roman citizen, you would never face this kind of punishment. Never forced to suffer for many hours, sometimes even days on a cross. A Roman citizen would usually be executed by a sword. Jesus was no Roman. And he would be required to suffer a slave's death. And so, yes, Jesus started out by carrying his cross to the place of his crucifixion. It makes you wonder, what did Jesus all have to carry? Was it the entire cross? Some claim it was the complete cross, consisting of two heavy wooden beams, sized in the form of a T or in the form of an X. Others claim it was just the cross beam of a T-shaped cross that Jesus carried to the place of crucifixion. And they claim then that the one guilty condemned to death, would then be nailed to this cross beam, and then this cross beam would be fitted on on the upright beam that was already fastened in the ground. Now, we cannot be completely certain what Jesus carried towards Golgotha. Whether it was the complete cross or just the cross beam, we cannot say with certainty. Regardless, this this carrying of this cross was really hard work. Someone who was strong and healthy could do this. The two robbers to be crucified on either side of Jesus probably carried their own crosses all the way. And Jesus.
Jesus, he started carrying his own cross. But he didn't bring it all the way to Golgotha. It couldn't be completed like that. So consider what he already had suffered the night and the day before. He'd already have endured the tense atmosphere of the upper room the evening before. And in the night he had suffered the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. The betrayal of Judas. The desertion of his disciples. And in the early morning he had endured the torture trial before the Sanhedrin. Also the denial of Peter. The tense trial before Pontius Pilate. And then once he had received his death sentence, as we read, he was scourged and mocked and struck by the Roman soldiers. Not surprising, he couldn't carry his cross any further. Being completely exhausted, he stumbled under the weight of a heavy cross and fell to the ground in humiliation for our Lord and Savior. As no Roman soldier would carry his cross or come and condemn to death in this way. There were no Jews volunteering to do this. Well, certainly not any of those who had cried out, crucify him. But none of those who were close to Jesus helped either. Yet the Roman soldiers knew exactly what to do. And they were good at what they did next. They forced someone coming by to carry the cross for Jesus. They commandeered Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross to this despised and dirty virgin. Now, as we read from another gospel account, Simon of Cyrene was coming into Jerusalem. And Simon, we might say, was minding his own business. He was not looking to help Jesus. Really, he would want to be involved in this Roman execution squad. But then it happened. When the Roman soldiers forcefully compelled them to carry Jesus' cross. This is not a case, as some claim, that Simon had some kind of sympathy for Jesus. Simon had no plans to help Jesus. He didn't want to lift even a finger for Jesus. And suddenly he was told, pick up that cross and get going. Really, we shouldn't glorify Simon making the ultimate kind of saint here. And since Simon of Cyrene was was forced to carry the cross, there was no real comfort here for our Lord Jesus. What we see here is a greater humiliation for our Savior. No one, not even Simon of Cyrene, voluntarily comes forward to help him. And what brings Jesus even more humiliation that he, and this time, is not able to command someone of his own choosing to serve him either. For let us remember up to this point, our Savior, Jesus, the great King, had been very much in charge. Yes, as our King, he would commandeer whatever he needed to do his work here on earth. And in this way, he would help those around him who were in need. Remember, it was Jesus Christ, our sovereign King, who who had commanded the wind and the waves of the sea to be still to save his disciples. It was our Lord Jesus Christ who, who commanded two of his disciples to go ahead and to commandeer the donkey and its pole, which he needed to ride into Jerusalem in triumph. It was Jesus Christ who, who commanded a few of his disciples to prepare the upper room for the celebration of the last Passover. But now he who before had called to himself whatever and whomever he willed, 
have become completely helpless. Instead of Jesus, the great king, helping everyone else, he needed help. Yes, you could say the great helper was helpless. You might be thinking, well, being the son of God, Jesus Christ could use his divine nature to take up that cross and carry it all the way to Golgotha. But instead, Jesus Christ was truly and fully comforted in human nature. What Simon of Cyrene and the Portuguese of Jesus are saying shows how great and complete his humiliation was for us. Because as it says there in Philippians 2, he laid his glory by, he came down to earth to suffer and to die. And there he was stumbling, unable to bear and carry his own cross. There he emptied himself, he gave himself totally for us. And within a few hours after Simon had carried the cross to Golgotha, he gave himself even unto death on the cross. And so we see Jesus enduring the shame of not being able to carry his cross. And he endured so much more after this, including the full wrath of a God and Father against our sins. What became of Simon of Cyrene? So many just like to know what became of this man who was forced to carry Jesus' cross. Common view among the Muslims today is that Simon of Cyrene also took Jesus' place on the cross and died instead of him. too much about Simon of Cyrene having the name Simon he was probably Jewish for Simon is a typical Jewish name and as it says here he comes from Cyrene now Cyrene is in northern Africa in present-day Libya and back in New Testament times Cyrene had a very large population of Jews and these Jews would come back from Cyrene to Jerusalem especially with the great feast Jews from such places as Cyrene would come back to celebrate. In fact, some of these Jews from Cyrene settled back in Jerusalem. Spending most of their lives away, they came back to the promised land. And as we know from Acts 6, there was a synagogue of freedmen there in Jerusalem, made up among others of Jews of Cyrene. And it's also known that some of these Cyrenians had their land just outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Maybe Simon had just come back into Jerusalem after looking over his land outside the walls. Now some claim that Simon of Cyrene became a disciple of Jesus Christ later on. But as we're told in a parallel account in Mark, he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. And in his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul passes on greetings to a certain Rufus. He says there, greet Rufus, eminent in the Lord, also his mother and mine. It may very well have been that Simon of Cyrene was the father of this Rufus, who later on was a member of the church, the church of Christ in Rome. And since only Rufus's mother is mentioned here by Paul, Simon may already have been dead, and he would never become a Christian. We cannot be certain about all these things concerning Simon of Cyrene. We actually really know very little, as I said before. He came in out of the countryside into Jerusalem. He appeared there before Jesus, forced to carry his cross, and then he disappeared again. And very often we note 
very little about the people surrounding Jesus Christ. And this helps us to keep our focus on the one who is most important, and that is our, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we today do not have to do like Simon did for Jesus chapter 5. No one needs to be here bearing his cross to Golgotha. We're not forced to bear his cross on a pilgrimage through the streets of old Jerusalem. We don't have to reenact his way of suffering. Yet out of true thankfulness for what Jesus Christ suffered for our sake, we must now bear our own cross. And as Jesus said there in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his own cross and follow me. And so yet we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, when to do this cheerfully and joyfully. And so in this way also follow our Savior. Oh yes, Simon of Tyrene, he was forced by the Roman soldiers to carry Christ's cross. Clearly he didn't do this willingly, he didn't do this cheerfully. But with us, beloved, it is completely different. We're to take up our cross, willingly and cheerfully, each and every day again. And of ourselves, we cannot do this. It's only by the help of the Spirit are we able to cheerfully and willingly bear our cross and follow our Lord and Savior. And yes, what does it mean then to bear our cross? It means to, yes, accept cheerfully the consequences of being Christians, of being followers of Christ. Even if it means suffering for Christ's sake, yes, public ridicule, persecution, shame, you name it. Whether we are younger or older, it's not easy being a Christian in this world. We receive all kinds of mockery and ridicule and scoffing. And how many people think we're foolish, even crazy about the sacrifices we make as Christians? Why would we want to make enormous financial sacrifices, say, for church and for school? And why would we desire to live a holy lifestyle, the Christian lifestyle, which makes us so different from the world around us? Why would we not want to party on like the world around us? And why would we have the priorities we do as Christians? When we faithfully come here on, on the Lord's Day to worship, when we put our wives and our families before ourselves and so forth. This is what it means then to bear our cross, to follow Christ. Yes, then we struggle and we stumble when we bear our cross and follow our Lord Jesus in all these different ways I just mentioned. And yet we do not have to look around to find a passerby like Simon of Tyrene to help us. And we do not have to force anyone to help us. We may look in faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. We have received his grace and spirit. In this way, he helps us bear the cross and follow him. And he knows what we go through when we follow him. He knows how hard it is to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Yes, the demands and difficulties of following Christ can wear us down. And yet we need not worry to admit this. For would the Lord Jesus, who fell under the weight of the cross, not fully understand us? He is like us in every respect, yet without sin. He being fully human, completely understands the temptations and the trials we face. He can say, been there, done that. And he came through it all in perfect and complete obedience. 
And so Jesus Christ helps us. He's not shy enough to be compelled to help us. But he helps us out of his deep love for us. He wants to help us to follow him. And so we may pray to God at baptism that we following him day by day may joyfully bear our cross and cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. And that is why, in Lord's Supper, we also pray, grant us your grace that we may take up our cross joyfully, deny ourselves, and confess our Savior. It's through the grace and the Spirit of our Lord and Savior, we may bear our cross and follow him each and every day again. Yet with his word preached and taught to us, the signs and seals of baptism and Lord's Supper administered to us. We are indeed assured that he will never leave us or forsake us. He knows what it is to struggle under heavy burdens and weights. And he is always right there whenever we stumble and fall to lift us up and send us along the way. Yes, he does restore us time and again his grace and his love for us. Simon of Cyrene had the cross on his shoulder. And as we're told in the last part of our text, they came to the place called Golgotha. And there outside of the walls of Jerusalem, outside of the communion of saints in that rainbow shore last night, as the last verse of our text seems to say so very little, they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. What more could be said about Golgotha? We actually know very little about this place outside the walls. Today, there's a very old church, the Church of the Sepulchre, on the supposed site of Golgotha. And you know what? Golgotha is not mentioned anywhere else in scriptures except in the gospel accounts of Christ's crucifixion. And what did Golgotha mean? Well, we're told here in our text, Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Now, in Latin word for skull is calvaria, and so the name Calvary. Golgotha in Aramaic or Hebrew, Calvary in Latin. Now why would we call the place of crucifixion Golgotha, the place of the skull? Well, some claim the place is called the place of the skull because that's where skulls of criminals who have been executed before were buried. But actually what's more probable is it's called the place of the skull because Golgotha from a distance looks like a human skull. A little hill protruding from the ground in the shape of a, of a skull. Now it's to this place that Roman soldiers and Jesus and two robbers came. And yet Golgotha was just outside the gates of the city. From the parallel gospel accounts, Golgotha is said to be near the city and along the roads where people could pass close by. In fact, later on on Good Friday, those passing by on the road were able to mock him. In this respect, you could say Golgotha was the great place for a public execution. And the Romans chose spots for executing criminals along busy roads at busy intersections. Very much a public place. Everyone could see. Everyone could take notice. 
And this was done, yes, to serve as a deterrent to those passing by, to those standing around. And from there on the small hill, close to the city, along the busy roads, no one can miss Christ crucified. There'll be plenty of witnesses to his suffering and to his death. Again, our Josiah was not just chosen by the Romans, but ultimately was chosen by the Lord God himself. As Peter would preach on the day of Pentecost, everything was done by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was God's plan for Christ's crucifixion to be public. All would be able to see that he carried the curse of God against all our sin. And as the Apostle Paul said later to King Agrippa in Acts 26, For I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. What Paul said, it was true. They were not done in, in a corner. No, they were done in the public, very much in public. It's also the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not done in a corner. Not done in some jail cell under Pilate's palace. Not d- happening in the darkness of the night. Not happening with only a few soldiers to witness. No, his crucifixion was done in broad daylight. Small hill, right outside the city, along the roads. Many stood around, many walked by. They saw him suffer and die. There was, in fact, a sign over him saying who he was. And it was said not in one language, but in three languages. So that, yes, the whole world may know this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. But there's more, beloved. It's more, beloved, to the fact that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha outside of the gate of Jerusalem. This is why we also read from Hebrews 13. Yes, the writer of this letter makes clear that there is meaning with respect to the place where Christ was crucified. He says there in verses 11 and 12, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but, and then you have it, the bodies are burned outside the camp. And then he gives commentary on this, and so Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his blood. So what does this all mean? To understand this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. We need to go back to the passage of Leviticus 16. There you read the events that would take place on the great day of atonement. What happened on this great day was normally that they would bring a sacrifice. This time the sacrifice would not be eaten by the people. No, what happened to the remnant of the bull and ram that were slaughtered? Well, they were taken outside the camp. Their hides and flesh and dung were burned up there outside the camp with fire. And on that great day, too, a goat was chosen, the goat called Azrael. And the high priest would lay his hands on the head of this goat and confess over him all the transgressions, all the sins of God's people. And this goat, then this scapegoat loaded with all the people's sins, was to be sent outside the camp, banished from the community, left to die in the wilderness. Now Jesus comes and he fulfills this ceremony there at Golgotha. It's our Lord Jesus Christ who who suffered outside the camp, outside the city, outside the gate. 
this, he was led outside the gate. He was excommunicated from Jerusalem, set outside there in the place of destruction. Yes, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place of God's judgment. This is where God lived among his people. But how is it possible for our most holy God to live with his most sinful people? How can we live in communion with him? Especially when you consider that our sins and our transgressions separate us from the Lord God. And so those sins and transgressions, they need to be removed. And they are removed and they're all placed on Jesus Christ. He is our sin offering and carrying our sins. Jesus was taken outside the camp that's outside the city. He was publicly excommunicated from the city of God. He was publicly cursed. And yes, bearing all our sins, he was cut off not only from man, but also from God, from the land of the living. And so he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so outside of Jerusalem, he offered up to God himself as a sacrifice for our transgressions, for our sins. He gave himself completely up as an offering to God for us. He made that complete and perfect atonement. By his blood. And so it says there in Hebrews 13, so Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. And thanks to his suffering, to his sacrifice, at Golgotha, we can once again live in communion with God and with one another. And so we do not need to go to Golgotha for the sake of the Holy Family. We need to go to Jesus Christ. As it says there in Hebrews 13, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. And yes, what disgrace, what mockery he endured from mammon, what wrath he suffered from God. And he did this all for our sake. And we now then bear the abuse he suffered. And this is what the readers, the letter to the Hebrews were already experiencing. As they were being mocked and ridiculed by both Jews and Gentiles for believing in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Really, who believes in someone who hung on a cross? And yet by that sacrifice on the cross, he made atonement for us. And it is in him that we believe. And it is him that we follow. And if we are to bring any sacrifice... Realize it is not a sacrifice for our sins, but rather it's a sacrifice of praise to God. The fruit of the lips that confess his name. And yes, through Christ we are able to do this. Through the working of the Spirit within our hearts. And we need to bring this sacrifice praise continually. And we do this out of thankfulness for the great sacrifice he made. And yes, this sacrifice of praise is not just with words, with good words, but also with good deeds. As it says there in Hebrews 13, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And so we bring, yes, the sacrifice of good deeds of service for those around us. As we show the love and the kindness to those around us, we help those who are in need. And yes, so in this way, we enjoy communion with one another. We find great joy here in the communion of the saints. We devote ourselves in sacrificial service for building up the communion of saints, the church of our Lord. And in this way, yes, we also help each other as Christians to bear our crosses and follow Jesus, our Savior. 
led outside the city of Jerusalem to crucify him. And this was done so that we might have communion with God and with one another, so that we may enter the gates of the holy city, the eternal and lasting city which is to come. Thus we may sing and live in praise of his name in his courts forever. Let's unite, take up our cross, and joyfully follow our Lord. Let us joyfully offer to him a sacrifice of praise, and let us live in joyful communion with him and with one another. Amen.